It's time for a special Cut for Time edition of the 3304 Sports Podcast with Ashan Lamba and Nels Williams. With that being said, I think we're going to turn this over now to the two, uh, should we call them NHL experts? I'm not sure. Uh, we have Ashan Lamba and Nels Williams here to walk you guys through the NHL playoffs, what's been going on so far in the first round. We already have a couple series over. We have a couple, uh, the rest of them are about to finish up and then we look forward through the second round and into uh stanley cup contention so guys uh ishan nels welcome aboard i'm going to throw it over to you and you guys just run with it have fun yeah happy to be here so um so this 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 season of the nhl playoffs is a lot different than uh than usual uh typically you have uh the three uh, the top two from each division advance as well as two wild card teams from each conference and you just go from there but in the COVID era had to get a little creative so there's four divisions and uh, of eight teams each the northern Canada division has seven teams and the top four teams advance to the playoffs and uh, that's where we're at right now. So as a Penguins fan, I guess I'll start with the, uh, the Eastern Division, which I may be a little bit biased in saying I think it was the toughest division in hockey just because even the non-playoff teams were very competitive throughout the season. So the four playoff teams that the East Division had, the Pittsburgh Penguins, my boys, they won the division at 77 points. The Caps came in also at 77 points. They lost out on the tiebreaker. Uh, Boston came in third with 73, and the Isles rounded it out with 71. Now, the Washington and Boston series is already over. Boston won 4-1 in that one. It was, I'd say, the only blip for Boston was game one, which they lost. They won the last four. And uh, in my personal opinion, uh, my, my thoughts on that series, I'd say the, the Caps looked very uninspired. You, uh, you could sort of see it in how they were playing. Uh, they just, Boston just seemed hungrier and they were getting a lot of chances to the net with the fact that they had such young goaltending. They had... Uh, Vanacek and Samsonov. Vanacek, he, he hurt himself in game one. He had to leave pretty early. Samsonov took over from the veteran Craig Anderson. So they had very young goaltending, uh, sort of shaky defense. So if you get chances towards the net, chances are it's going to work out in your favor. And it did for Boston. Uh, Nels, I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but for me, it, I didn't. I didn't think Washington stood much of a chance after I'd say maybe halfway through Game Three. Just looking at it. Yeah, I, I would honestly have to agree with you on that. Uh, the Capitals definitely seemed very, very hungry to win and win the series after pretty much every sports pundit and sports report had written them off for this series. Ed, as a majority of even sports betters as well were predicting Boston to win at five, six, or seven. However, yeah, as you said, after the first couple of games, they just seemed to kind of fall off and lose that competitive 
edge and the, the hunger to win. Going into this playoffs, uh, going into this year's playoffs, the Capitals were very banged up. If you look at the amount of uh, undisclosed and even disclosed in- injuries that the Capitals had, their entire top line of Ovechkin, Mantha, and Wilson, I believe, had injuries to their players. Ovechkin was nursing an injury, and then we also had Vanacek pulling his groin or having a uh, classified as a lower body injury in game one after trying to make a save. So the Capitals, obviously, like with them, were the much older team as well. They are, I believe, the oldest team in the NHL. I want to say their average uh, age is around 29, 30 years old. And they, they just, like, like I said, they were just very injured. They, they were just very flat. And you could tell, especially with all the games that went to overtime, you, you could just tell that towards the end of it, they were tired. They were flat. They just didn't have the edge. Well, the Bruins were, were out flying. And Samsonov. He deserves a lot more credit than I think people are giving him for. Obviously, he and uh, defenseman Justin Schultz had the slip up in game three when he misplayed the puck and mishandled it and left it towards the back and went back to the net. Schultz did not go for it. And then the Bruins capitalized and scored the game winner off of that. But besides that one little slip up that cost the Caps that game, he is, he was basically standing on their head in their last defense and what, what kept them close and competitive throughout it all. And also the one one other problem with the Capitals was that their first and second lines weren't really producing. The fourth line of Garnet Hathaway, Connor Sherry, Daniel Sprong, and any other of those kind of scab type kind of players were leading the were leading the Capitals in goal scored as uh, up until the fifth game. So they just weren't getting their top lines producing. They were just nursing a lot of injuries, and there's just a lot of problems as well, including with Yevgeny Kuznetsov and Ilya Samsonov going into the playoffs. Kuznetsov actually is one of the very, very few people in the world to have gotten the COVID vaccine and have tested positive for uh, COVID-19 twice. He got it before the season and during the first few games, and then he got it again around early May, just right before the playoffs started, putting him and Ilya Samsonov into the quarantine protocol. So that definitely did not help losing their top center, uh, Kuznetsov, to be out due to COVID as well, of Samsonov too. So overall, just personally myself, I'm a Capitals fan. It was hard to watch this series, but it kind of felt expected after game one. And I definitely do think that the Bruins are going to be one of the top teams coming out of the East. Yeah, and and for for me, like early on in the season, uh, around the trade deadline, when the Caps paid, you know, a king's ransom for Anthony Mantha from the Red Wings. I mean, they gave up Ponick, Verana, a first round pick for this upcoming draft, and a second round pick for the twenty twenty two draft. I mean, you you would have expected that he was going to be some elite player that's going to take the team to the next level. Um, by that, uh, I guess, haul that Detroit got. And he was producing towards the end of the season. Like, it did look like it was uh, working out for the Capitals pretty well. But, uh, yeah, he just he fell flat in the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that was just the story for the Caps. Uh, there's – they're heading into the offseason. They're obviously disappointed. There's a lot of questions about – uh, the future of some of the players. Uh, Ovechkin says he is going to be back. They're probably going to work out a contract. Uh, but TJ Oshie's future with the Caps is a little up in the air. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what moves the Caps make this year. I know some sometimes fans tend to overreact a little bit after a playoff series loss. But, uh, you know, I've seen a lot on Twitter, people just telling the Caps to blow it up, try and try and get a younger core and hopefully make future runs at the Cup. 
Yeah, so I, I've actually like I've I've been reading into this a lot, and it's gonna be like you said, it's gonna be a very interesting off season and who they resign and who they want to come back because this off season is very different because of the Seattle Kraken coming up with the expansion draft. So there's a lot of talk as to who the Capitals are gonna protect, who they're gonna leave unprotected, and who the Kraken might scoop up. And it it this off season, the only two contracts I believe that are um, up then their free agents are Alex Ovechkin and Ilya Samsonov. And the thing with Ovechkin that a lot of people are concerned about is that he has gone on record and saying that he only wants to play for the KHL, I believe Moscow Dynamos. That's uh, the team that he played for before he came to the NHL in the Capitals. And unfortunately, he has come out and said that the ball is practically in Ted Leonsis' and uh, general manager Brian McClellan's court. But the other big one is Ilya Samsonov, because Samsonov was the backup to Braden Holpe before Holpe left in free agency after the Capitals won the Cup in the 2018, excuse me, 2017 and 2018 series and went to Vancouver. So he was projected to be the Capitals' big backup guy and, and it, to, to fill the role of Braden Holpe. So his contract is up as well. But with Vitek Vanacek and how he's come out and played this season and kind of uh, overstepped Samsonov for that number one goaltending role until the playoffs. It's going to be very interesting how the Capitals play that goaltending tandem and, and what their contracts are going to look like and also who they're going to leave unprotected because a lot of the fans and a lot of uh, people speculated that TJ Oshie would have been left unprotected for Seattle to take because his contract is a very, very big one and they could have signed at least one or two more free agents had they um, not restructured his contract. But he has also gone on the record recently of, of saying that he wants to finish his career in D.C. And he also had a spectacular season this year. He put up a lot of points. He was just overall, it seems like a very, very kind of gel kind of guy in the locker room. While fans have also kind of turned on Evgeny Kuznetsov, obviously, for his disciplinary reasons and also his performance it, towards the end of the season, he actually um, cross-checked Tuka Rask in the back uh, towards the final minutes of the, thir the third period of Game 5 that overturned a uh, power play goal that the capture amount to come back for and if that was his last play as a capital i feel like that would be fitting because of just how how he has severely regressed after he won or actually after the 27 2018 series so it's going to be very interesting for the capitals going into this offseason and it's also just you know every year these guys are just getting older and it's going to be towards the end of an era for the backstrom and ovechkin era in, in dc there's going to be a lot of new faces and a lot of new changes there yeah, absolutely. And uh, so Boston is going to, uh, they've already advanced and the, the perennial uh, goal scorers and just, you know, all around offensive powerhouses, Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, David, David Pasternak, they're going to be taking on the winner of the New York Islanders and Pittsburgh Penguins series. Uh, currently that series is still in progress. We actually have an elimination game tonight. Uh, we're in game six right now. The Islanders currently lead 3-2, and game six is in Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. So the Islanders in a much better spot. They were practically invincible at home, and they struggled on the road throughout the regular season, but they've managed two uh, overtime victories in Pittsburgh uh, in game one, and then the goof up by Jari. Uh, two days ago in game five in double overtime. That was just heartbreaking as a Pens fan to watch. But um, it, it it's heartbreaking for a different reason. I guess I'll, I'll go into it just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to ramble too much. But in game five, uh, I, I, I feel the pain that the Caps fans felt in game three where there was that uh, 
miscommunication with Samsonov that ended up leading to a double overtime goal. The difference with that game and game five of Isles Pens, in my opinion, is that Samsonov was doing fantastic up until that point. Uh, he's He was keeping the Caps in the game, and the Caps were hoping to sort of steal that game away from Boston. In this game, in game five, the Penguins were, dare I say, dominating the Islanders. Uh, they had 50 shots on goal. They were getting quality, quality hits. The Islanders only 28. I mean, I think there was one period, I think the second period, uh, where they only had two or three shots on goal the entire period. And so the momentum was behind the pens. The crowd was behind. But the brick wall that is Ilya Sorokin for the New York Islanders. He has been absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, he was, he was stopping really, really quality chances. And eventually Jari, I really don't know what he was thinking. I'm sure he'd like to take that one back, but he went behind the net to uh, play a puck to his defense. He ended up passing it directly to Josh Bailey and he scored 51 seconds into double overtime. So the Islanders can close out the series with a win, uh, which would be huge because, as we know, the Penguins won the division and they're threatening another cup run. So, uh, so Nell, sort of, what have been your thoughts on the series? I definitely agree that it feels like the Islanders are just barely stealing away with these games and the Penguins have been the dominating force. Going into the end of the season, the Penguins was true trading for Jeff Carter from the LA Kings for, I believe, a third-round draft pick uh, and a conditional pick. That that was that was huge. Jeff Carter has been on fire recently, and he's definitely been that guy who's kind of been leading the torch and leading the team to into the playoffs into where they are right now. But just watching these games and, and how the Islanders have played, the Islanders play a very, very defensive and trap kind of game of hockey where they just try to uh, get, get you in the neutral zone, play outstanding defense, and they get a couple of breakaways, and they just seem to be getting lucky. Um, it, 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 it's just like the Penguins are just dominating every game. Like you said, I want to think they, they had 42, 43, 44 shots in game five, but it's just these little mental mistakes. And it's just these little things that are just hurting them. And right now I, I firmly believe that the Penguins were going to win this series in five. I, I thought the Islanders were going to squeak away with one game because that is basically long Island hockey is that they just squeak away with one game in the playoffs and not really put up too many points. And that just hasn't been the case. Like, I, I would have called you crazy three weeks ago if you told me the Islanders would be up 3-2 in the series on an elimination elimination game tonight. But, yeah, I, I 100% agree. It definitely feels like it's the little things that are getting the Penguins, and the Islanders are just capitalizing off of that. But if they do beat the Penguins tonight, or if they beat them, in, or if the Penguins win, but the Islanders win in Game 7, I don't see the Islanders going past the Bruins. I think the best shot for the Bruins would be the Islanders to win this series. And they obviously don't want to face the Penguins because of how on fire they were going into the end of the regular season and end of this playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting what happens. Um, I what, do want to see more production out of Matt Barzell. Definitely feels like the second and the third lines have been producing more. But I think that if the Islanders can speak away with this series, the, the Penguins do have to look into themselves internally and go, what happened here? Yeah, I think... One key distinction that I'll make, I think the Pens are similar to the Caps in the fact that they're an older team, and they dealt with a lot of injuries. In fact, I think the Penguins uh, had the most uh, minutes missed from their starters due to injury throughout the season. Uh, 
They may be top uh, five, but I, I don't really know. Um, but they missed a lot of games from their key starters. And coming into the playoffs, we are missing a couple of people, but we're relatively full health at this point. And we should be sort of peaking at this point, one would think. But they're not getting production from their top two lines. In fact, the, the production that I've been most happy with with the Penguins is the fourth line. Zach Aston Reese, Brandon Tan. Brandon Tanev, Teddy Bluger, uh, there's just so, they're just so much better than every other line, which is really crazy to say. Tanev is getting huge hits on the boards. That's basically his thing. Um, even for his, despite his height, he's more of, he's basically the enforcer of the team. Uh, Zach Aston Reese and Teddy Bluger have been progressing very nicely. They just seem to have more hunger and more fight. And obviously there, there have been big plays made by Crosby and Gensel, but like, I haven't, I haven't heard much from Jason Zucker. I mean, he's basically been non-existent because Perry Kapanen has been eh, kind of, he, he hasn't really been present. Uh, just a lot of uh, production lacking from the Penguins on the flip side. Islanders, they've just been getting production from all their lines. And they're, they've sort of been operating with a, a death by a thousand cuts mentality where, as you mentioned, it's it would be nice if Barzell got better production, but they also have Josh Bailey, who scored the game winner in game five, Brock Nelson, Jordan Eberly, even Kyle Palmieri, of all people, was, I mean, he dominated in game one and he got them the win. So... Islanders have get, been getting production from all their players. The Penguins, the opposite. It's basically just been the fourth line. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting um, how they come out in game six. And obviously, like you said, missing some key players throughout the season. Evgeny Malkin being out for a large chunk of the regular season and coming back for the playoffs is definitely going to help. He did score a goal in game five. And I definitely do think that the top lines do, do start producing if they want to close up the series. But honestly, with how the Islanders play their hockey and how their offense uh, produces, it's definitely going to be night and day. And I believe it's going to be a coin flip as to who wins the series. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough one today. Uh, the Pens are in a tough spot. But, you know, I, I'm hoping that they pull it out. Uh, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to be released, but... At, at the time we are recording this, the uh, the Pens and Isles are going to face off in Game Six tonight at six thirty on NBCSN. So I'll be I'll be anxiously watching that one and hoping that we can push it to Game Seven and hopefully take the series on our home ice. But uh, the winner of that one is going to advance to play Boston in the next round. So, uh, it's going to be a very good game, and I definitely recommend all of you tune in to watch. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are definitely the best form of the playoffs for the more four major sports. But moving on to the really big story coming out of the NHL right now, we have the North Division. They start their playoffs a little bit later than the rest of the teams because of COVID complications with the Vancouver Canucks hockey team. Playing the, out the Calgary Flames and thus delaying the Maple Leafs and Canadians and the Oilers and Jets from playing. but the biggest story to come out has definitely got to be Winnipeg sweeping Edmonton in four games when the Edmonton Oilers were the clear-cut favorites to win this series. 
Games two, three, and four had three straight overtimes as the last game went to triple overtime. And in NBA terms, the Oilers being swept by the Jets would be like Michael Jordan being Connor McDavid and Scottie Pippen being Leon Dreisaitl being swept by the Phoenix Suns in the 1993 NBA Finals. This is just unprecedented. Nearly everyone had the Edmonton Oilers winning the series even in four or five, like at most six games. And for the Jets to come out here and prove everyone wrong, it's just, it's just absurd. Um, Jets played the winner of the Montreal Canadiens and the Maple Leaf series. And the also the biggest story to come out of this has been Connor McDavid. He put up a legendary season. He, I believe, had 106 points, somewhere around the low 100s, in a 56-game series, which is just unprecedented and unheard of. And I can't imagine how many points he would have put up in a regular, se- uh, regular season. But he had a point per game, and, only had, and the real big kicker was that he only had one goal, and that came in the last game on a wraparound. And then Leon Drysaddle pick kind of picked up the production with five. So a lot of people were ragging on McDavid for not really producing in the playoffs like he did in the regular season. He was kind of shut down in the first two games before finally getting back on his edge in the in game three and game four. And this is one of his uh, last seasons to request out of Edmonton. He has a no movement clause that goes into effect into the 2022 and 2023 season. So if he wants out this season or next season, he's got to make his decision soon out of Edmonton. Um, he also does have a massive contract at a 12 and a half million average annual value. So for it's, it's got to be a lot of different teams involved in this trade. And McDavid is the best player in the NHL right now. I will stand by and, and take that to the grave and say that. So he will immediately help out any team in the league. I definitely think that Every team in the league would put an offer on the table if Edmonton would be willing to dish him out. And again, the uh, Oilers go into this offseason looking very depressed. They've been one and seven in their last uh, two playoff series, where last year in the 2020 season, they went into the bubble in Edmonton and on their home ice as the clear cut favorites to beat the Chicago Blackhawks. And they only took one game off of them in the play in round. So that was very big as they were the number five seed and the Blackhawks were the number 12 seed. And um, they have to go into this offseason wondering just what can they do for depth. They definitely did shore up depth, depth a little bit by getting Tyson Berry in the offseason just for defensive help. But it, this is not the NBA. This is a team game. You need more than two or three really outstanding and good players to really carry the team and to just make it a well-rounded and balanced team. Because anytime McDavid was off the ice, you could definitely tell there's a lack in production from when he was on. The Jets, however, they definitely did outplay the the Oilers, obviously, because they won the series. But no one really expected, and I, I didn't, obviously didn't expect um, them to win this series. I, my bracket for this offseason, or excuse me, for these playoffs, I had the Jets being swept in, in four. I'll, I'll just say it right now. The Jets going into the playoffs, they were a very, very cold team. I believe at most they had a seven-game losing streak, not going into the regular season, but I believe, or excuse me, the playoffs, but a week before they started. They were just dealing with some injuries as well, and there were also some concerns and talks about Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was traded from the Columbus Blue Jackets for Patrick Laine. Um, that was a, a really big blockbuster deal. He hasn't really been producing uh, the way that the Jets fans in Winnipeg uh, system has liked for him to. However, he has been producing in the playoffs a little bit. So there was just a lot of questions and concerns going into this going into this playoff series between the Oilers and Jets. But I mean, it's it's I, I'm I'm still in shock that the Oilers got swept, and the Oilers just have a lot of questions to be answered this offseason in terms of just depth, what they do, and what they do with McDavid. Because if I'm McDavid right now, I'm I'm obviously very upset with the team. I'm I'm upset with the ownership. I'm upset with just the general like the general manager. I'm upset with the players as well because he can't he can't carry it all. It's not a one one man show. He the, the team has to step up 
And if I were him, I would feel like I'm wasting away my peak career staying in Edmonton and not chasing a ring because I think that's what he wants the most. And the regular season doesn't really mean much, much to him. So I, I definitely do think that this was um, also bad for the NHL because a lot of people had kind of written off the Jets, including the NHL and a lot of their uh, advertisements and just um, promotion for the playoffs. They didn't really include the Jets that much. They kind of focused on their obvious poster boy, Connor McDavid. And now he's been swept by Winnipeg, which is one of the smallest markets in the NHL and then not that many people know of compared to the Oilers. So a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of blanks to be filled. And Ishan, what do you think about this series? Yeah, honestly, it's it stunned me. Um, I I thought that Winnipeg might steal a game or two, but I I did not see a sweep coming. And I think it's a testament to one how underrated Connor Hellebuck is. I feel like he he is definitely one of the best goalies in the hockey in the National Hockey League. I'll say that. Um, I, I he he's annually underrated and i think that this series really showed how good he was he was making stop after stop on edmonton what i what i did sort of pick up on was just edmonton sort of started to i mean and they really fell off hard in the third period and that's sort of evidenced by game one and game three uh game one at that point the the game was tied around halfway through the third period. Winnipeg scores, I think, nine minutes into the third period, something like that. They're up 2-1. Empty net situation. At the end, they pile on some more goals. But Edmonton falling away in the third period had much more catastrophic consequences in game three. They had a 4-1 lead well past the halfway point in the third period they collapse in the span of like three, four minutes. They give up three goals, go into overtime, and eventually Ellers wins it for Winnipeg. And then the the uh, final game, game four, Shifley with a third period goal, and then going all the way into triple overtime, Kyle Connor finally wins it for Winnipeg, and they complete the sweep. I think that it was a, a very well played series. For Winnipeg, you you touched on the the trade between uh, Pierre Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine. Uh, Mark Shifley and I'd say probably Blake Wheeler did the best job. Uh, they were I'm pretty sure, with the exception of the of Game Two, which was just a one goal game. I think both of them had either a goal or multiple assists in all of the games, so they were really producing and. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how far Winnipeg will actually go because, yes, Edmonton were the favorites, but they have to end up facing either Toronto or Montreal, which I think will also be a huge test given the, uh, I guess you could say, weak nature of the North Division. Yeah, so uh, just segueing off of that into the Montreal and Maple Leaf series, um, or well, I guess, like you said, the Jets, they 
they they did have the one-two punch of Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele, but they've also had some help with Kyle Connor and even Pierre Luc Dubois picking up the uh, the steam and picking up where Scheifele and Wheeler would leave off. So I definitely do think that they're a fun team to watch if they get their offense going. Connor Hellebuck, which has been standing on his head, and if he gets hot, I definitely do think that they're going to be a tough team to face. And I don't think they're going to be a team that either Montreal or Toronto wants to see. But the Montreal series and the Maple Leaf series, I don't see Montreal coming out of this. In their four games, they have only put up four goals. And the most goals they put up was just two goals in game one. William Nylander of the Toronto Maple Leafs has as many goals as the entire Montreal Canadiens team as he's put up a goal per game. And the biggest headline I'd have to say that would come out of this was John Tavares being stretchered off the ice in game one after taking a very, very unintentional a completely unintentional hit from the knee to the head off of Corey Perry. Um, he was knocked out on the ice. It was a very scary situation. I got I got chills from it. It was just one of those things you just can't look at again. Um, the Connor Hellebuck, though, of this series is definitely going to be Carey Price of the Montreal Canadiens. Carey Price has kept them close in, in this series, even though he did let in four goals against them in game four. Um, I, I, I just can't see Montreal coming out of this, though. They simply do not have enough offensive production from their stars, such as Tomas Tatar, Corey Perry, and Cole, Cole Caulfield. And it just seems as if, though, they just can't get their offensive production going. And obviously, if you don't score goals, you can't win games. So I, I, I just think that this will be the Maple Leafs in five. There's really not much to talk about it much besides that. Um, what's also going to affect them though in the division before we wrap this up as well, it will be the fact that there will be no fans in the arena for the time being. Um, Canada has had different COVID protocols in the United States, and currently the only sniff of hope that there will be fans in the arenas for either of these two series right now will be, I think, 2,500 people in the Bell Center in Montreal um, if the if it goes to game six, which I think Montreal can squeak in maybe one more, but the Maple Leafs will end up winning this series. So I definitely do think that has that has, um, that has a significant impact on how teams play. It's just the fans. Like if, if you, I, I recommend everyone listening to this podcast who hasn't seen an NHL playoff game to just watch a little bit of it or even you know, look up on YouTube um, like game-winning goals in the NHL playoffs and just hear the crowd and hear the atmosphere and feel just the energy inside of the arena. And I, I specifically, I would definitely uh, look up the Golden Knights and Sharks Game 7 uh, series. I'm not going to spoil it too much as to what happens. Or, well, the, the title of the YouTube video, I'm not going to literally spoil it, but the Sharks come back being down, I believe, 3-0 or 3-1 against the Golden Knights to get a five-minute major power play into their hands. And they come back, tie it, and they come back, excuse me, take the lead at 4-3. Then the Golden Knights tie it with the minute left. And then the Sharks win it in overtime to win the series 5-4. And just to see the Sharks arena just explode and just blow up with energy, it, it's just absurd. So I definitely do think that has an impact um, along with other teams like in Florida, between the Lightning and the Panthers, which we'll get to in a sec. And even the Hurricanes and the Predators as they have allowed fans in their arena. So tonight, I've, uh, tonight, uh, excuse me, no, sorry, Thursday night uh, will be the game five between the Maple Leafs and the Canadians, and the winner of that series will play against the Jet, or excuse, yeah, against the Jets, uh, whenever that series has been scheduled. So a lot of good games coming out in the North, and I definitely would recommend watching the game five uh, game between the, the Leafs and the Canadians. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, the 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 North Division series, it just, it, it takes you sort of back to last summer when we had the bubble and we had all of the playoff teams 
just playing in empty arenas up in Canada. And I mean, it, it was, it was appropriate then I feel, but you know, now I don't want to speak prematurely, but we, we are sort of gradually getting better in terms of dealing with COVID, not just here in the U S but also in Canada. Um, and I, I sincerely hope that the Canadian government will allow, you know, it doesn't need to be max capacity, but just allowing fans into the arena, even a couple thousand fans can really uh, give the, the team, the home team energy and put momentum behind them, even when they don't have it on the ice. Uh, in, in terms of the games, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the story of the series is Tavares going down and just, it, it breaks your heart seeing that because that's, those are career ending injuries. I mean, it, it it's really scary to see. And, um, you know, it's it's good that he's in good spirits now. Uh, at least that's what it seems. So wish him well, wish him a, a speedy recovery, and hopefully he can continue to play hockey again if, if he so chooses. Um, and after, after that happened uh, in game one, you can sort of see, may, maybe you see it, maybe you don't, but I feel like there's just a little extra energy behind Toronto. They're playing for their captain, and I... You know, I, I, I think Toronto definitely has an, a little extra win behind them now. Uh, as, as you mentioned, they, the Maple Leafs have been doing really well. They were the North Division regular season winners. So this was sort of to be expected. Yeah, Montreal stole game one. They might, they might take game five. But I, I also think that Toronto is going to come out of this relatively easily. Uh, being a Peng- Penguins fan... We faced Montreal last year in the bubble. And a lot of these, these names that I remember hearing and just terrorizing our defense, Gallagher, Suzuki, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who really emerged last season, uh, Tomas Tatar, like all these big names from Montreal that they've had, they've just gone silent and really don't know what to do. And... Carey Price, yeah, as you mentioned, is keeping them in the series. That's just sort of been the story for him for the past, I'd say, five seasons. It's a depleted Canadians lineup, weak defense, and it's just the brick wall Carey Price in goal, saving them every time. And eventually he's going to get to a point where he can't just constantly bail them out. And so Montreal has done well in recent years. They're on an upward climb, but they need to really strengthen their team, find good players either in the draft or in the market and, you know, legitimately make a cup run because Carey Price is in the twilight of his career. You know, they they have to take advantage of it. Yeah. And although the series isn't over yet, they definitely do need to address offense in the off season. Um, they, they can't get it done just off of one goal games or even two so yeah, you you are 100% correct though, and that Carey Price, um, he he deserves a ring. He's definitely one of the better goaltenders in the NHL in the past decade and since his career started there. And it's just depressing, honestly, from a neutral fan. I have I have no say in this series. As a neutral fan, watching Price just get shelled and watching the Maple Leafs absolutely dominate the Canadians, it's just, it's just depressing to see Carey Price. Um, he did make a miraculous stick save. I believe in game four, just off the paddle of a stick and just watching that and watching these, you know, crazy, like last minute, last, you know, just off the toe of his skate or just off the last inch of his pad saves over and over and over again is definitely 
I, I feel a little bit worn down from it as, as a fan. I feel a little bit worn down. I'm like, how many more times does Kerry Perez have to bail out this Montreal team? And how many more times does, uh, you know, Kerry Price just have to keep standing on his head to keep them in it? So going to be a very interesting series. Um, the Maple Leafs, although they have not won a playoff series in a very, very long time, I believe it's been 15 years. So if there's any team to blow it and blow it to the Canadians, it, it will be the Maple Leafs. But I just have to say the one thing that, that to come out of this series, though, I really wish there were fans in the building for this. The Canadians, the Maple Leafs have a long, uh, long historic rivalry. And I really wish that the Bell Center and also Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, they were, they were just, I, I really wish I could see fans in the arena for these series. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully uh, later on, at least in the next series between most likely Toronto and Winnipeg, we'll, we'll see fans sort of start to trickle in there. And um, yeah, so moving to the Western division, uh, there, the, this division, I'd say, I'd say this is fair characterization. It was more so a division of the haves and have-nots. Uh, it was sort of similar to the Central Division, actually. So you had the President's Trophy winner, Colorado Avalanche, winning the division at 82 points, which was, you know, really impressive. They were dominant both at home and on the road. Vegas was right there underneath them, also at 82 points. Minnesota at 75 points. They had a really phenomenal season and you know we've seen the emergence of Kirill the Thoreau Kaprizov and then you need a needed a fourth team it just so happened to be the St. Louis Blues but the rest of the division the rest of the division really nothing to speak of so I these were probably the most likely candidates at the beginning of the season if you were to pick who was going to advance from this division so not too much of a surprise there and I guess I'll start with the series that is already over and the result that pretty much everyone expected. The Avalanche absolutely destroying the Blues, sweeping them in four games. Uh, I mean, in, in all honesty, the Blues didn't really stand a chance, but they, they gave up 20 goals in four games. I mean, <laughs> you can't, there, there's no team that is going to win a series. If you allow 20 goals in four games in contrast, they only scored seven across the four games. So they, they were putting up a little bit of offense, but yeah, they, they, they just had no shot. And the avalanche, you know, I'd say probably five, six years ago uh, when I really started getting into hockey, the avalanche were sort of lost and you know trying to find direction rebuilding their team and now they've just been they've just become the nhl's powerhouse you know edmonton has uh mckinnon or excuse me um dry and how am i blanking on his name oh this is a, this is a sin for a hockey fan Are you talking about gabriel landeskog no, McDavid. I, I can't oh, believe McDavid. I forgot his I can't believe I forgot his name. Jeez. Uh well, you know what? They're out of the playoffs. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> won't be hearing his name yeah. much anymore. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I yeah, but McDavid and Drysidle, you know, Edmonton has that, but Avalanche, the Avalanche, they just have a wealth of scoring talent, man. Miko Rantanen that's emerged. Nathan McKinnon, who is who isn't necessarily the best player in the league but he definitely gives mcdavid a run for his money as i mentioned landis Kog, Borowski from the caps uh 
Kale McCarr has uh, sort of emerged, which, you know, is, is awesome for him. I, I don't watch Avalanche too much, so I didn't know about him before this year very much, but he's been a great threat for the Avalanche. And yeah, I, it, it was sort of, there was nothing really to speak of in this series. It was just all sort of very expected. Nathan McKinnon was dominating. He had five goals in the first two games, including a hat trick in game two. Um, yeah, they were just, they were creating chances. They were converting on their chances. St. Louis was not, there's not much to speak of. Uh, they got production from their, their sort of older players, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, but this, uh, this was probably the easiest playoff series to predict if you were just a, a, a casual hockey observer. This, this, this series, honestly, uh, I, I, I agree with what you said. They, like, like going into this series, I expected the Blues to maybe take one game off, but it's one of those series where you kind of joke about it and you're like, aha, you know what I mean? Like, oh, the Avs have a complete, sh-. like, you know, Avs are going to shut down the Blues. And then it actually happens and you're like, okay, what? You know what I mean? It's just very, very, it, it was just shocking seeing the Avalanche completely dominate the Blues. Jordan Bennington, even though he did let in 20 goals in four games, he still stood on his head in a lot of plays and kept the Blues in it to make it just even a little bit closer. Um, it, 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 the Avalanche just dominated the, the Blues in every single front. In the neutral zone, in the offensive zone, defensive zone, the Avalanche just dominated. It, it was absurd. And I definitely do think that they were the cup favorites after the Blues. However, um, the Wild and the Golden Knights are not just going to be easy, easy to trample over compared to the Blues. So the Avalanche do definitely cannot let their guard down after just dominating the blues. So again, it's just, it's one of those series where like Ishan said, everyone just kind of writes this off in the beginning and then you actually witness it and and you're just in shock and awe. So overall it, this kind of the avalanche, I I definitely do. I'll think as well had a little bit to prove as last year as well, they were considered the cup favorites and then they faltered in the Edmonton bubble. So this year, I definitely do think that they're coming out with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and they're coming out with a little bit more to prove. So it's going to be very, very interesting uh, with their next series and how they come out. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the Avalanche, regardless of who they face in the next round, be it the Wild or the Golden Knights, they're going to have a lot on their plate. And so they, they ought to take as much advantage of this time or extra time that they have as they can. And speaking of the other series, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild, this one also is uh, is tighter than you'd expect. Honestly, I I wasn't writing the Wild off, but I still thought that Vegas was very clearly the better team. And uh, the Wild have kept it tight, but they've they've kept themselves in it. So to their credit, you know, very very good. Uh, they they're they're facing elimination tonight as well uh, at home. They Vegas currently leads the series three two. Game six is tonight, and they've won both of their games on the road. Game one it was a thrilling goalies duel. Uh, it was nil nil through regulation, and Minnesota managed to squeak one past Flurry in game one to take a series lead, which. You know, uh, it, it, it alarmed my buddy. He's a big uh, Vegas fan. So he, he, he got a little bit alarmed. But after he saw game two, Vegas responded very nicely. They've come back. They, they 
dominated Minnesota on the road in game three and four scoring and they outscored them nine to two. And then uh, Minnesota fought back in game five back in Vegas. So it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota fights back. Kaprizov is obviously the big story out of Minnesota. He has been fantastic. I mean, he's produced 51 points on the season, 27 goals, 24 assists. And the, the rookie is just, it's really entertaining hockey to watch. I'll, I'll just say that. And they've they've also gotten pretty good production spread out across all of their players. Uh, Matt Zuccarello, Nick Badino, uh, Foligno, I believe as well. Uh, Erickson Eck, who has also been really good. So Minnesota has distributed their scoring and their chances nicely. On the flip side, Vegas... Uh, I guess we sort of come to expect this from them in their very young history from the get-go in their inaugural season. They have just been annual playoff contenders and it's, it's the same, it's the usual crew, Mark Stone, Pacioretty, Jonathan Marchessault, and their goaltending also phenomenal. Marc-Andre Fleury, I miss him dearly, but yeah, he's, he's doing fantastic things in Vegas Robin Lehner was also a great backup for him in the in the regular season as well. So they have depth, but they and they don't really have a lot of holes. Uh, so there's really not much Vegas can improve on. They just need to go out there and get it done. That's basically Vegas's uh, point at the uh, right now. So I I hope that Vegas can pull this out because. If they lose to the Wild or, you know, if they lose to the Avalanche next series, then that may be okay just because the Avalanche have been so dominant. But if they lose to the Wild in this series, then there'll be questions asked about their their coaching, their core. Hey, can they win with this team? Because they've they've been dominating in the regular season, but they haven't been able to get it done in the postseason repeatedly. and yeah, so I, for for Vegas' sake, I hope they advance and I hope that they continue to, uh, sort of, play up to their standards in the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, this is one of those series where I really wish I was able to invest my time in and watch a lot more, but unfortunately, I have not been able to see as many games. What I have seen though is that the Wild are definitely the more unexperienced team when it comes to the playoffs. Minnesota hasn't really had that much playoff experience and playoff luck. And just, um, they, 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 they don't really have that much experience overall on the team compared to the golden Knights. But I definitely do think that the golden Knights are favored to win this series, but the wild aren't just going to let them walk all over them and take, and take this easily. Um, if the Wilder to take this series, they need a lot more offensive production. Although they won against the Golden Knights in Game Five, they only had, I believe, around 14 shots. While the Golden Knights had had so, uh, shots somewhere in the 40s. So, um, I, yeah, I, I just say that this series is a lot closer than some people think it is. But the Golden Knights are definitely favored toward it. But um, it's going to be very, very interesting how the Wild are going to be in the next couple of years as well. Because, like you mentioned, Kirill Kaprizov is the future of this franchise. He has been electric ever since coming over from the KHL. He's been very hyped up. He's been very, very, um, 
he's he's a prospect that Wild fans have been looking forward to for a while now. And now that he's here and that he's producing and and pulling off miraculous plays and dangles on the NHL level, level and caliber, it, it's just incredible to watch. And I'm very much looking forward to watching him and his career unfold and, and bloom. And his, uh, with his time with the Wild in the NHL. So if the Wild lose the series, I would not say that's necessarily a bad thing because the Minnesota Wild fan base definitely has a lot to look forward to for once. Um, they haven't really had a lot of positivity up there uh, in the Great North. But the Golden Knights definitely do, like you said, they have a lot to prove. and they, They're not just a little fluke team, and they, they definitely do need to beat the Wild to gain the confidence and, and gain the public's trust in that they can actually uh, be cup favorites and win the Stanley Cup, win the Cup to Vegas. Yeah, and uh, I think that the the sort of resurgence of Cam Talbot in that has been a great thing for Minnesota. Uh, Cam Talbot has sort of, uh, you could say, faltered a little bit uh, once he left the Oilers, once he got traded from the Oilers, rather. Um, and so he he wasn't doing too hot and sort of, he sort of found a... a a, I guess, rebirth in Minnesota. So good for him. He's He has been doing well. As you mentioned in, in past game five that Minnesota just won, they were really efficient with their chances. They scored four goals on only 14 shots. And Talbot made, I think, 38 saves on 40 shots. So yeah, he Talbot's been doing great in that. So Minnesota definitely has a great platform to build on this season. Uh, I, I don't think they would be too disappointed if they got eliminated, but they, they've definitely been showing some quality fight. And yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, again, at the time we're recording this podcast, Vegas is going to take on Minnesota tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN, directly after the Penn's Isles game six. So two elimination games back-to-back on NBC Sports Network. If, uh, if you are listening to this podcast, I highly recommend checking both of those games out. It's going to be really thrilling. All right, moving on to the final division of first-round playoff hockey. Let's start out with the Hurricanes and the Preds. The Hurricanes are the, are the number one seed, while the Predators are the number four seed. Currently, the Hurricanes lead the series 3-2. to two, And similar to the Oilers and Jets, and honestly, the theme of this playoffs, um, there have been three straight overtime games. And uh, this year's playoffs has seen an uptick in overtime games. Not great for my blood pressure or, or my heart or my lifespan of my, of, of my life, but it's, it makes for some great hockey. Um, I'd say the storyline to come out of this game, like I mentioned, the fans in Northern Division, both the Predators and the Canes are nearing full capacity. And you can tell that they just feed that both teams feed off of this as neither team is one on the road. The Canes took two were up 2-0 at home, but then the Predators stole it out in two straight overtime games at home. And then the Canes won in overtime at home as well. So um, the Predators, though, they did, they had to fight to get here. They just barely squeaked by the Dallas Stars for the fourth seed as the Stars had 60 points and the Predators had 64. And honestly, the Predators have come a long way. Towards the middle of the season and, and towards the trade deadline, there were a lot of talks of just blowing up the main core of um, Philip Forsberg and even like Ekholm and even firing their coach and just completely just retooling the entire team. But they picked it up. They've been a very hot recently, and they're not a team that you should count out. 
I believe that if they're playing any other team besides the Hurricanes in this division, the two other teams being the Panthers and the Lightning, this series will be a lot closer as it definitely does feel like the Canes have been dominating them a little bit. And the Predators would have, would have would be putting up a better fight here. Um, game six is Thursday. There's really not that much to talk about this series in general besides the fact that if you want to watch and, and just get a taste of what life before COVID was like again, I definitely watched these two series as um, I believe Carolina right now is at full capacity um, and the Predators are nearing towards 89%, if not full at this point. So if you want to watch what it'll hopefully be like soon, uh, fingers crossed, go, go, everyone go get vaccinated, then then watch this series. It's, it, these are two good teams that are hungry for a cup, as the Canes haven't brought the cup since the mid-2000s. The Predators were so, so close against Ishan's Penguins um, a couple of years back as well. So these are two teams hungry for a cup. They definitely want to bring it to their respective cities, and these are two great series that are on the line. Yeah, just the, the energy in the stadiums are absolutely electric. And it was especially so for uh, Nashville's two victories because they were both double overtime winners at home. So you can just imagine that, you know, painting the picture, fans have been at home for over a year. They've just been itching to get back to live hockey. And then in the first two playoff games with – almost full capacity fans back two back-to-back double overtime winners. I mean, that's, you can't get much better than that. Um, yeah, this, this, this series is really interesting. Uh, it's tight. I don't think that either team is giving much up. We've seen, as you mentioned, three back-to-back overtime games. I think it's just going to follow this pattern for the next two games. I think Nashville is going to win game six at home and then Carolina is going to win it at home as well. So I, I do think that the, the hurricanes are the better team. They, they won the division, which was pretty hotly contested. I mean, it had the de- defending Stanley cup champion, Tampa Bay lightning, and it had the Florida Panthers, which came out of nowhere. Um, so winning the, the central division was no small feat. And so I think that they can, they, they definitely have the skills and the discipline to pull it out. Um, yeah, I, I think that I'll definitely be rooting for either of these teams because, as you mentioned, they, they haven't really had recent success. Nashville, ever since that, you know, ever since we won the cup against them, they, they've sort of been on a, uh, a roller coaster of a, of a ride since then. I mean, they, they upset, or excuse me, they, they, they have struggled in the playoffs. And even though they qualify, they don't necessarily make much noise. And I believe they've had back-to-back first-round exits. I believe, I'm, I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah, so they've had back-to-back first-round exits. So they, they have enough skill to make the playoffs or at least stay in the playoff picture but they haven't really had that same oomph to take it over the top. And the, I guess, uh, loss of Pecorine and sort of transitioning to his longtime backup, UC Soros, or Soros um, has been a pretty seamless transition. They've done well this season and they've done well in the playoffs. So credit to the Preds, they, they aren't gonna go down easy. But I think that 
Carolina is eventually going to pull this one out. Uh, it's it's one of those series that are, are really great. You don't want it to end, but unfortunately there has to be a loser. And I do think that's going to be the Preds. And last, but certainly not least, this has been my favorite playoff series to watch so far, and unfortunately hasn't been getting the coverage that I think it deserves, is the Battle of Florida between the number two-seeded Florida Panthers and the number three-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. Currently, right now in the series, it is 3-2 Lightning with Game 6 playing tonight. The biggest storyline to come out of this game and, and just the, the biggest um, kind of just palm in the face has got to be the Panthers goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky was recently brought onto the Panthers on, I believe, a seven-year, I believe it's seven years, $10 million per year contract. And immediately after that, the Panthers drafted Spencer Knight, who was considered one of the best goalie prospects to come out of the United States uh, hockey development team in a very long time. And in the first, two, in the first game, Bobrovsky led in four. Chris Trieger came in, I believe he brought in one. In the second game, uh, Tampa Bay only scored three one. But in game three, uh, Tampa Bay scored five in game four. Tampa Bay scored, scored six. So the reason why I believe, in my opinion, that or the reason, seriously, the reason why the Panthers aren't leading the series right now is because they have a goaltending carousel going on. They have had Bobrovsky start a game and they get pulled for Drieger. They've had Drieger start a game, get pulled for Bobrovsky. And then finally, game five, the rookie Spencer Knight started and he led the team to a victory, only letting in one goal, stopping 36 out of 37 shots. He looked great. He looked like a tenured veteran. Um, it's 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 been a great series so far with a lot of physical uh, fights. Definitely two teams that aren't very fond of each other. It just goes to show that the the NHL has grown into the Sun Belt and grown into these untraditional markets. Usually that people think of the NHL, they think of Canada, they think of the Northeastern United States, they think of Detroit, Chicago. But with the Battle of Florida, that's kind of changing the NHL's overall narrative. They've done a great job in growing, this, growing the game in Florida. And um, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning are obviously the repeating Stanley Cup champs. So this is great for the league in general. I really wish this series was being promoted more as Game 6 is tonight, but unfortunately it has been pushed to CNBC. NBC is losing the contract rights to the NHL next year. The NHL's TV rights will be split between ESPN and TNT. So I'm hoping that with the NHL being split between two networks and um, more coverage overall for the league, it'll get more exposure. And if we see a Panthers versus Lightning series again, this will be ramped ramp the heck up. And I'll, the NHL will push this as the number one series. Um, besides that, though, the Panthers, like Ishan said, they've kind of come out of nowhere. They do have stars in Alexander Barkov. Um, and Spencer Knight, but they recently traded this season at the trade deadline for Sam Bennett of the Calgary Flames. Bennett was struggling a little bit, and the Flames were a team that were looking to kind of do a soft rebuild and weren't really sure what they were going to do, but Bennett has kind of exploded for them as well. So both of these teams have wonderful stars and wonderful players that um, just play great. Obviously, the Lightning have Nikita Kucherov, his team at Stamkos, that have kind of carried the torch and led the team along with Andre Vasilevsky to the Stanley Cup uh, that they got last year. So great series. Check it out tonight at eight o'clock on CNBC. It, this this is the, some of the greatest playoff hockey I've seen in a while. Game one was definitely one of the best games that I, I, I've seen in recent memories. So check it out. Yeah, I would 100 percent agree with you. Game one was fantastic. I I'm rooting for the Panthers just because I, I have a tendency to root for uh, the underdog in situations like this or, or teams that, you know, have struggled in recent past. Uh, even though 
I'm a Steelers fan in the NFL. I still, I still sometimes find myself rooting for the Browns just because, uh, just because of all that they've been through throughout this decade. So I, I'm, I'm definitely that type of guy. And, you know, going up against the defending Stanley Cup champions, obviously I'm going to root for Florida, who hasn't made the playoffs in a, in a while. Yeah, game one was electric. It was fantastic. The fans were really into it. In the end, Tampa came back in the late third period. Braden Point just delivered the heartbreak to the Florida faithful there. Uh, Tampa pretty easily won game two, I'd say. Um, game, game three was also fantastic, I'd say. Uh, even though it was on the road, the, the road team getting an overtime winner, it's, it doesn't have the, uh, the same oomph behind it with the crowd cheering as it does if it was a home overtime winner. But the, the Panthers really showed grit in that one. They went up 2-0. They allowed, I think, five goals in the second period. And they were down 5-3. And they came back and won that one as well in overtime. So the Panthers have evolved nicely. You mentioned the goalie carousel. Yeah, that's definitely been their biggest weakness, I'd say. The the coaches really need to just pick a lane and go with it. With with uh, Knight's performance in Game 5, I reckon that he's probably going to be the goalie the rest of the series. And if they come out with of it with a win, then he's, he may be just be their goalie for the rest of the playoffs and I would be completely fine with that but yeah they just need to pick a goalie and stick to it because you can't keep flip-flopping like this is the regular season and you can't have like oh you know we just had a a cold stretch like you do in the regular season no every game matters and you can't go on like a, a two or three game losing streak because in a best of seven series that basically pushes you out the door um yeah, this the, the series definitely doesn't get its credit, and I hope that more people tune in to watch Game Six and possibly Game Seven if Florida wins this one. Uh, is going to be electric, and I I really am happy with this series. I think it's it's pretty similar to Carolina Nashville. It's one of those series where one team has to lose, and yeah, I'll definitely be rooting for the Panthers. And whoever, whoever comes out of this, because the Central is sort of the most unknown, whichever two teams come out of this, I know that the next series that they have is definitely going to be, it's, it's going to produce some fireworks as well. And I think that wraps up our first round NHL playoff coverage. But before we head out and turn the turn the uh, microphone over to Colborne and Daniel again, uh, Daniel, Colborne, Ishan, what are your guys' predictions and who do you think will win the 2021 Stanley Cup? See, I actually wanted to turn that over to you guys when you guys wrapped up because, again, I don't know these teams that well, and I don't really uh, – I haven't been following this postseason, seeing how these teams have played. Uh, so I'm going to turn that over to you two. I, I wanted to at – the, at the very end of your segment, I want to ask you guys, what is your last – what is your impression of who will bring home Stanley Cup this year? I think it's going to be the Avalanche. Um it's there's 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 two or, th- or there's three or four teams I think that that are powerhouses and obvious favorites. Um, with that being the Golden Knights, the Panthers, Lightning, and the Avalanche, uh, I would include the Maple Leafs in there if they weren't in such an easy division. If my opinion, the North is easy division, but I think the Avalanche are going to bring the bring the trophy home back to Colorado, and um, 
Joe Sackick's done a great job building that team there. They have stars such as Gabriel Landis, Landis Cog, Nathan McKinnon, and Kale McCarr. And they have Philip Grubauer doing outstanding in the net for the Avalanche. So I definitely think that they're the most well-rounded team and that they're a team that no one wants to play in the playoffs. And any team that they're going to face in the second, third, and final round in the Stanley Cup Finals, is it's going to be a great hockey. So I'm going with the Avalanche and the team that they're going to play in the finals – I'm going with the Maple Leafs on this one. I think the Maple Leafs that they're uh, playing for John Tavares, their captain who was injured in game one. And that's going to give them a little bit of an edge and some chip on their shoulders uh, to go all the way to the cup and try to win it for Johnny Toronto. So I'm going with the Avalanche over the Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup for this year. Hmm. I don't want to be boring with this one, uh, but I will say uh, before before the, the new year actually happened back all the way in December of 2020, uh, I was trying to make predictions for, uh, you know, these upcoming sports seasons. And I, I predicted that the Colorado avalanche would also win the Stanley cup. So I'll say avalanche just because, you know, I, I genuinely do think that they just have just such a strong team, great players. And I really think that they can win it, but to keep it interesting, I think I'll actually go with the Florida Panthers. I want to see them, you know, in, in their first season. Yeah, they don't have too much experience, but I want, I want to see a young core mixed in with some old veterans just make a run for the ages and win the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, my dream pick would be the Florida Panthers. Uh, I, I mean, I'm willing to give you guys a quick answer on this. I mean, uh, though you guys know Dan and I don't uh... – and know too much NHL or at least don't uh, watch or aren't as avid of watchers recently. Um, during all this talk, uh, you guys have sold me on Colorado, but on top of that, uh, I'm going with Colorado for a couple other reasons to win it. It's also because uh, it's a kind of a family team. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, from my family out in Kansas that uh, support Colorado, almost like they're the local team in a sense. So I like them for that, as well as they are also known for, from my memory, of taking a Washington Capitals keeper. So now they have Grubauer, who is a former backup, and uh, they had Varlamov before him, who I'm pretty sure is now an Islander. So just kind of like, you know, you get a little bit of Capitals in there, uh, get a little bit of family in there, and then it's just a good team. And then otherwise to face them, I would, I'm just going to say historic and say Tampa Bay. They've been incredible from my memory, like to getting to that point. So I'm just going to say Tampa Bay for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to give an opinion. I have absolutely no knowledge of any of these teams. If, if Colorado is the clear favorite, I guess I'll just ride with that. Um, Sean, you're a Penguins fan. Having Crosby probably be the best player left in the, uh, in the playoffs definitely helps. Uh, do you think they come back in your, in your series? Now, the obvious answer for me would be to say yes and that we go all the way and we win the next five Stanley Cups. But uh, I just, I don't know because based on what we've seen from this past series, Nels and I talked about this early on, it, the Penguins definitely feel like the better team. I mean, they won the division for a reason and they, despite all their injuries and all that they missed, um, they've gotten production from a lot of people who weren't even on the Penguins roster last year. Kapanen, Carter, uh, Matheson, Sevier, 
like they've they've done well with the acquisitions that they've made. And so I want to say that we can just, you know, get it together for the next two games, pull it out. But I just don't know. We've I, I've seen inconsistencies in our defense. We're we're simultaneously a great defense and a terrible defense because we like in the last game we outshot them, I believe, 50 to 23 or something like that. And you know, on the on the bright side, we allowed only 23 shots on goal. So our defense has been great at disrupting chances in center ice and not allowing pucks to get to the net. But when we do allow, you know, shots to go to the net, it's wide open shots, it's breakaways, it's uh, it's just it's it's uninhibited to the goalie. Jari's bailed us out constantly. And our, our top lines aren't getting production. So unless that changes, which recent history shows that it, it really isn't going to change much, I think we may be able to squeak out a win here in game six. But I think that the Islanders are going to win this series, either by winning tonight or by winning uh, on Friday. So I, as much as it breaks my heart, I do think that we have the skill, the players, the grit, the determination to make a deep cup run and possibly steal the cup. But if I'm going to be realistic with myself, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think we may end up flaming out to the Islanders here. All right. Well, I guess that that'll be it for NHL playoff talk. Nels and Nishan, thank you guys both so much uh, for coming on today Thank you for to give us pretty us. much a full recap of uh, everything that's been going on. I really appreciate all your insight. And surely as we get further and further, probably as we get into Stanley Cup final time, I think having you guys on to having you guys on again to really give us a full view of what went on in the playoffs. I, I think that'd be good. So again, thank you guys for your time today. Take care. Thanks for having me. And I uh, can't wait to be on later in the NHL playoffs. Yeah, same. For sure. For sure. Uh-